The Friday Reporter launched in March of 2021 as a conversation with today's journalists and has expanded to include newsmakers, lawmakers, image makers, and just about anybody who's in the news or the news adjacent business. The podcast is in partnership with PR Daily and is part of the Big Wig Podcast Network. If you like the show, please hit the subscribe button to make sure you've got ready access to the latest conversation. And if you've got an idea for a great guest, don't forget to send your ideas to Lisa at FridayReporter.com. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. As I've told you in the past, I have, over the course of the last three years, had some tremendous conversations. They started out with journalists, but what I found was that because I'm in the public affairs space, I'm also having some terrific conversations with newsmakers and people that are really trying to advance some extraordinary efforts. And today's conversation is exactly that. My guest today is Frank Larkin. He is a national advocate for veterans suicide prevention and traumatic brain injury research. And he also is here today, not only for that important reason, but also to talk to us a little bit about warriorcall.org. Frank, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, thank you. And again, thank you to your listeners who are taking the time out to to hear what uh, we, we have to say. I, I hope that uh, our discussion uh, helps to inform them. Well, I know that it will. And I know that a lot of the folks that are listeners of this show not only because of our proximity to the Pentagon and Washington, D.C., but also because of the community of folks that I know through a lot of different avenues of my work. So tell me, Frank, let's go back a little bit before we get into the advocacy work that you're doing today. Tell me a little bit about your background. Well, I I started out as a Navy SEAL myself uh, in the post-Vietnam era, Uh, eventually uh, came out of the uniformed services into uh, law enforcement uh, started out as a beat cop in, in a major city and uh, worked my way up into homicide and then eventually uh, had a 22-year career as a special agent in the Secret Service uh, protecting presidents from uh, Reagan through uh, Bush 43. Upon my retirement, I was asked to uh, come back into the Department of Defense to work the counter IED problem set uh Basically, it was the weapon system that the enemy was using against us in Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa. And my organized crime background uh, really was directed at mapping out the bomber networks and the extremists who were using the IEDs against our forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had uh, been in New York uh, in the Secret Service, uh, our Secret Service uh, office uh, on 9-11 uh, when that terrible day occurred. Our office was in uh, Seven World Trade Center within the World Trade Center complex. Mm. Probably should have been dead about five times that day, you know, dodging a number of different threats. Yeah, I bet. But uh, as that day unfolded, uh, I had a son who witnessed it all from a hillside uh, west of the city and uh, made such an impression on him that a number of years later he came home and informed my wife and I that he had just enlisted in the Navy and that he had volunteered for SEAL training. Wow. And uh, I said, why? Uh, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Yeah. And he says, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. And, uh, and and I just can't allow what happened to us on 9-11 ever happen again. So I'm going to be part of the solution. Hmm. And sure enough, uh, much to our surprise, he went through SEAL training, 
uh, I got the opportunity to pin his trident on, and he immediately went to war. Wow. He had uh, two uh, heavy tours in Iraq, two in Afghanistan, a couple side trips to uh, Lebanon and other places, mm. and uh, started to show signs of his uh, service and certainly the uh, the combat that he uh, had experienced, uh, much you know, like what we hear from a lot of our veterans mm. uh, who have served and certainly been in combat, uh, started having problems with sleeping, uh, developing anxiety, uh, hypervigilance, memory issues, problems with coordination, uh, you know, other cognitive functions, uh, started to struggle with what was happening to him. You know, here was a you know, highly regarded, decorated, revered Navy SEAL who now is starting to unravel and yeah. is really struggling with why as, as he's sliding down this slope off the peak of this this mountain mm -hmm. that he once stood on top. Yeah. And uh, his story is not unique. It, it's just repeated so many times over. Uh, to look at him, he, he looked like a gladiator. You couldn't see any visible wounds, much like what we've seen on many of our men and women who have served in combat who have had traumatic amputations and disfiguring injuries. These invisible wounds are a whole different category uh, of injury that fits with inside these folks who struggle every day just to get through the day. Yeah. And it's, it's a complex rubric of post-traumatic stress, moral injury, which is a subject we don't talk a lot about, mm -hmm. but they're very much challenged about right and wrong up and down. And then substance use disorder, which very often is related to their efforts to control their pain. They're all in some sort of pain, yeah. physical, you know, mental, spiritual pain. Mm -hmm. And as we're coming to find out now with a growing body of evidence, uh, undiagnosed TBI from blast exposure, you know, the, from the overpressure that comes off our weapon systems, mm -hmm. the use of controlled explosives uh, to breach doors and walls, and, and certainly the enemy's use of improvised explosive devices, IEDs. Wow. And, uh, you know, we saw him unravel before our eyes. Uh, he eventually had to uh, leave active duty. Uh, he could no longer operate. Um, he moved into uh, supportive care with the Veterans Administration, which wow. was a challenge at the time. Yeah. Though we found a lot of wonderful people there in the VA. Um, it's a big bureaucracy, and it was tough to work through. Mm. I remember we were sitting around a fire one night and he says to me, you know, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm banged up inside. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to live you know, to an old age. I just, uh, I hurt. And I said, no, no, Ryan, look, you know, you're going to be fine. I'm going to be with you. You know, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure this out. He says, no, he says, I just want you to promise me that if anything happens to me, I want my body, my brain donated for, uh, traumatic brain injury research, breacher syndrome research. And I said to him, wow. you know, like any parent, you know, we won't have to worry about that. You know, we're going to, you'll be fine. We're going to get through this. Sure. You're not alone. And uh, two months later, uh, I came home one day and found that he had taken his life in the basement of our home. Oh, my gosh. And uh, he was wearing a SEAL Team 7 T-shirt, 
pair of red, white, and blue board shorts and had illuminated shadow box next to him with all his uh, insignias and medals and so forth. And we, uh, so we, we satisfied his wish and we were able to move uh, his, his brain donation to a research project at Bethesda Walter Reed. Mm-hmm. And they came back to us about two months later and said, you know, to my wife and I, your son suffered from a severe level of microscopic brain injury uniquely related to blast exposure. Wow. Nobody could see it. It's not visible in, in our living operators, mm. our, our living warriors. We don't have the technology yet to image it. We don't have the blood markers to confirm it. So a lot of what happens gets defaulted towards psychiatric behavioral health diagnosis. And that's when you start seeing the drugs come in to control them symptoms as opposed to get to the root cause and it's not to say that there are not met, you know mental health implications here there are and it's kind of a hand in glove it's not an either or yeah but really the the effort main effort right now is to try to develop um that technology mm-hmm. and and those processes that will help us to identify uh this level of traumatic brain injury um in in, a, in those that have served much earlier than what's happening now when it gets to a catastrophic state and these folks in their struggle to understand what happened and just to survive, get in very dark places and become isolated. And that's where the national warrior call effort has come about Mm. really to simply uh, at the deck plate grassroots dirt level, make a call to somebody, you know, that served, take a call from them and have an honest conversation, whether that calls via phone call, a text, a personal visit, you know, that connection is powerful medicine. Mm. And, and we have received so many responses from veterans who were in a bad place who got a call at, at that time. And they, and, and the caller and the person receiving call could put, could make no sense as to why the call happened mm. other than one person said, I'm going to reach out to this person, mm-hmm. not knowing that it was coming at a critical time. Wow. And that call pulled pull them away from the line. Let them know, let them know that they hadn't been forgotten, yeah. that you know they weren't alone, and that there was hope. And and that's simply what National Warrior Call Day is. It's simple. Anybody can do it. It's it's to connect with somebody who served in military uniform or as a first responder because you got to remember our first responders have been on the front line for many many years, especially over this COVID uh, you know pandemic. Yeah. Uh, dealing with some horrible situations. So, you know, there are domestic warriors, but uh, that's what brings me to where I am right now. You know, I came out of the SEAL community. Uh, I was very proud to have a son who became a Navy SEAL, but he knew what he was doing that day. I didn't like what he did. I didn't support what he did, but I've grown to understand. Yeah. And now he's passed the baton to me and I'm on a mission uh, to help people understand and the important thing for your listeners to un- to know is, you know, as as we unravel this Gordian knot, they're not crazy. They're very they very well may be injured. Yeah, injured because they went and did what we asked them to do as a nation. They protected us, and they they were successful because we have not had a nine eleven like attack since that horrible day. That's right. So. Your listeners who, who have served, are serving, they need to understand that there's hope ahead. 
we're going to figure this out. We're going to triage, we're going to be able to triage them, diagnose them, move them into the most appropriate treatment paths, and then hang with them as we try to rehabilitate. And, and just like any injury to any part of the body, this is about healing. Yeah. This isn't about being broken. This is about fixing something that has become injured that we want to get back into a good place. For sure. No, and and your story is is just to me one that I think we need to remind ourselves of um, because you know we support our troops. We do what we can to 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 give them everything they need when they're in service. But when they step away, to not have that support behind them really um, it's a tremendous tremendous disservice to them and to our country and to the people that are willing to put their um, their lives on the line. What kinds of hopeful things, because obviously you have a big network, I'm sure, of people that you talk to, console with, work with, know who have gone through similar um, circumstances like yours, the loss of your son. Are there hopeful Things you can tell me are there are there are there people that are dedicated to this? It sounds like the folks you worked with in Bethesda uh, really felt like as much as they knew was obviously not enough, and that's why you guys are are working so hard today to advance the awareness around um, these important issues. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure, and and one aspect of my background that uh, I failed to mention um, following my. Uh, tour back in the DOD as uh, as a leader of the Joint IED Defeat Organization. Uh, I was uh, elected uh, the 40th U.S. Senate Sergeant at Arms. Uh, so I spent almost four years up four four years up in Congress, uh, getting to know that experience, which was unique. I bet. Um, but what we're trying to do right now is work with Congress, get them to understand. Uh, the challenge here, this is at epidemic levels directly related to our suicide levels Absolutely. that we're seeing within our active duty and, and military. And it has con- consequence, serious consequence over our, on, onto our public, mm-hmm. but certainly is an issue for our force resiliency with regards to our current military and modern warfare. Right now, I'm, I'm at uh, a university in Washington, D.C., and I'm huddled up with uh, some extremely smart folks mm. who have the same level of passion uh, tr- to try to figure this out. Uh, they're neuroscientists, there's researchers, there's uh, uh, social workers, uh, mental health experts. Uh, and, and for the first time, we're seeing uh, a community of action come together for a unity of effort, because this is the only way we're going to solve this. Yeah and really build a, a government-private uh, sector partnership to, to mass you know, our intellectual capability and our capacity on this and solve this. And I do believe that we will be able to solve this. We have some very disruptive studies coming out in the next few months mm-hmm. that are gonna add great clarity and definition to what's going on with regards to these blast injuries and certainly the opportunity to image them in a living person. Mm. We've got other efforts going on with biomarkers, much like a heart attack. They take your blood and they can tell that, you know, you've had heart damage. Huh. We hope to do that with, with a brain injury. Wow. 
And then we have uh, some other efforts that we're trying to really get to that point uh, or that connection with those veterans or, or those active duty folks that as they struggle with what's going on with them, to have a level of qualification. They're injured as a consequence of their service. Yes. And so um, for your listeners, if they're interested, there was a recent study that was just published about the awarding of the Purple Heart to those that have traumatic brain injury. The study profiled uh, the U.S. Army, and it was by Jaina Oseri Brooks. Her husband is a, is a warrior. She's a nurse researcher and wanted to ask the question, would the Purple Heart play a role in qualifying someone's injury and certainly their service to this nation? And the results of that study very much um, validate that hypothesis. And so we're trying to work on adjusting the criteria for issuing a Purple Heart because it's very hard to do for somebody that has invisible wounds. Because again, if we can't see it, how, how do you confirm it? Right. But yet, this could go a long way, and I think really buy, go a long way to buy down some of our suicide, um, you know, issues, especially if a warrior, you know, gets that acknowledgement that, you know, I'm hurt. And I'm hurt because I asked, I, I did what they asked me to do. Yeah. And there's a tremendous uh, sense of separation that comes from leaving your truck, oh, yeah. you know, leaving your team leaving your unit Mm -hmm. in some cases, you know, especially if you've been to combat with these men and women, they become closer than your own, you know, blood family. Yeah. And, and when you separate from them, separate from the service, that transition period is is a very vulnerable time for, you know, the the first number of years uh, after separation. And so we're hoping that some of these efforts, not only the scientific research, the efforts to increase our collaboration and unity of effort, you know, with all these different groups, maybe, you know, a new, uh, you know, update on the Purple Heart Award, I think, you know, collectively will help move this in the right direction and get us closer to the end zone. I I do believe that we can solve this. It's just that it has not been a, a national priority. You know, we have not seen the urgency out of the Department of Defense, the VA, HHS uh, to focus on this and to support it with the funding that's needed to do the research. Yeah, I, I think they are very well intended, but I think we need that level of leadership that pulls everybody together under the same tent, Absolutely. moving in the same direction. Yeah. I mean, to treat the body for injury and to neglect the study on the brain is that's malpractice, you know, to, to leave that aside and to know this heavy, heavy burden that, that our veterans and folks that have, as you say, have stepped away from their service, uh, carry with them for the rest of their lives, um, has got to have greater support. And I hope that through your efforts, I know through your efforts, that's actually going to make quite a bit of difference. Tell me a little bit about Warrior Call Day. You mentioned it before, but before I let you go, I want you to tell me, remind my remind our listeners once again, is November 12th, which is this coming Sunday. Uh, and this, obviously, this will, it's not just the 12th, but really, we should continue this as a practice 
to look after our the people that we love that have served. Um, tell me a little, though, about the effort that you are. We're going to make sure that there's a link so folks can learn more about your efforts and support you guys any way they can. Well, you know, it's a, as if you read off a script that I wrote. So uh, that's exactly uh, the emphasis. It's not just about a day, but it's a day that we had to, you know, put a mark in the sand uh, in order to to get a national level of attention. Uh, we've gotten a tremendous amount of support out of the Senate. We're hoping that uh, this passes the House and then goes to conference, and and we have a, a legislated uh, National uh, Warrior Call Day. So far. Uh, we have all the former VA secretaries who have endorsed this, and that's almost unheard of. That's amazing. Uh, this is a nonpartisan issue. Yeah. We have over 27 Medal of Honor recipients who said, we've got to do this. This is the right thing to do. And this coalition that we built uh, is, is over 50 strong of other nonprofits and BSOs that said, hey, we're on board with this. You know, this is about connecting to our warriors. Because the, the biggest thing that we're fighting, honestly, is the isolation piece. That is common in yeah. all these suicide scenarios, that, that, that sense of separation. A lot of these men and women, whether you know, folks realize it or not, put a mask on mm. every day when they go out. Mm-hmm. And, and they spend a lot of energy uh, just trying to look normal you know, to others. Sure. And, and they struggle just to get through their day. Yeah. And, and we think that's a real big part of the challenge that, that we've seen, um, as we get the opportunity to understand what's going on and we become better informed, then we can really put a, a Herculean, you know, full court press on the preventative side. Yeah. But right now our priority is the diagnostics and how do we get people down the right treatment path? Oh, that's, it's so amazing and so, so fortunate I am for, for having you with me uh, for this conversation. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd like to share um, other than folks should go to warriorcall.org to learn more, uh, to mark their yes. calendars, not only for November 12th, but every subsequent every opportunity they can to reach out to someone because you never know when it's a day that they really need to, to hear from someone that loves them or cares about them. Yeah. Just trust your instinct. It's so easy to, to dial that number and, and, and just, you know, Hey Sally, I saw your number. I, I, we haven't talked in years. I just thought I'd give you a call. Or you remember when we were deployed into, into, you know, Baghdad and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's amazing how that connection can really revitalize somebody, can really give them a, and you know, just a, you know, a shot in the right direction and energy boost. Um, because you know, part of this is that you know our general public really doesn't understand mm-hmm. uh, what these men and women have gone through. Yeah. And uh, so, warrior call is really to show that appreciation, but also to connect warriors with warriors, and anybody can do it. Use your phone, text, do a drive-by, whatever. I love that. I love that so much. Frank Larkin, this was absolutely my privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with me. And uh, I'm going to do everything I can in the show notes and throughout the weekend and all the way throughout the year to remind my friends and my colleagues who listen to this show to be a supporter of the effort that you are putting forward. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for being with me. 
Dan, thank you. And thank you to your listeners. Uh, you know, they're part of the they're part of the solution. So we have to deputize them. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I love having this show. I love you to be part of it. Thanks again. Thanks to PR Daily for being a partner. And thanks to the folks at Big Wig Podcast for letting us be part of their network. See you soon.